word. Well, today is Mother's Day, and it's a special day to honor mothers, and you'll, you'll find out from me, my style is when a certain either um, special events come up uh, on our calendar, holidays, or political things, sometimes there are churches that stop everything and then just have the whole sermon about mothers, and they kind of walk through the Bible and do mothers. That's not my style. Or if it was 4th of July, yes, I may dress in red, white, and blue, because those are my favorite colors, but I may not preach through the Bible, looking at USA. But today is a day to honor mothers, and my style is this. We are to honor Christ above all, and to honor Christ would be to honor mothers. So I encourage you to honor your parents, and today is a day that we have that we celebrate. Mother's Day, we have a Father's Day, and we have this, these kind of days where we kind of look at our parents and say, yes, you were great, thank you for doing all these things, Especially if now that you have children, you realize, oh, that's what they had to go through to raise someone like me. And my mother would often say, wait till you have kids. I never knew what that meant. I was like, what do you mean, wait till I have kids? I can't wait. Once why that kind of echoes in my mind, oh, now I know what she meant by that. And sometimes when we look at our parents or think about our parents, we realize our parents were not perfect. No surprise there. Now, I come from a generation where when I grew up, Primarily when I was in college, there was a lot of people that blamed parents. I blamed my parents for everything. There was this kind of trend for about 15 years where everyone was, well, I'm having this problem because of my parents. And maybe some of you got that kind of flack. It's all because of you. You raised me. You didn't raise me. You didn't give me this. You didn't give me these freedoms. Or all these problems. And a lot of people like to look at parents and go, look at all the problems they had. They were not perfect. Or... You as a parent are sitting there going, you're right, I have not been perfect, which is good to do. It is. I realize I'm not a perfect parent. I have failed. There are things that I'm expected to do that sometimes I fail at. But on a today like today, it is so good to think of this question. We have parents that have failed us. I, as a parent, have failed. Who has not failed? failed me who has not failed me and of course right away we have the Sunday school kids have already gone away and I could ask that question and they would raise their hand and say Jesus it's the Sunday school answer right but do you know that do you believe that that he has never failed you today we're going to look at my favorite word in the Hebrew language there's a lot of words, and if I showed you some of the words, you'd say, what, is it upside down? Sometimes I go, oh, it is upside down. It's that kind of a language. It's hard to understand. But there's one word out of all of them that is, for me, my personal favorite. And it speaks of God. So let's pray before we dig into this passage. Dear Lord, we do thank you for those parents who raised us. We all have different stories, unique stories even in this church. We have kids that are adopted, kids that are biological, kids that are almost surrogate, where they've just kind of taken in and people have cared for them. And Lord, we confess that we have failed. We have fallen short in so many ways. And Lord, I ask that you would reveal to us the beauty of your love today that never fails. We thank you for this precious time that we get together. 
dig in the word. Amen. Amen. Recently, as you've known, I have gone back to college. Not because I need another degree. No, thank you. I'm done with that. I don't need any more credits. I have enough credits. I think I already have 300-some credits. I'm done with credits. But I've recently gone back to OC, Olympic College, to take a mountaineering course. And my family, they're all leaving to go back to the Midwest next week to get ready for Amber's sister's wedding. And they're going to take a whole month and just play in the sun, which we have here. We do. Some of you say it doesn't. It's been sunny for the last couple of weeks. And when they go back, I'm going to have a lot of free time. So party at my house every night. I can make macaroni and cheese and throw in a pizza. That's pretty much all you're going to get for food. I mean, this is going to be quite interesting. I'm going to be like a bachelor. But one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to get back to the campus because I have my college card. I'm a college student now again. And I'm going to go around and I'm going to interview students. Uh, this will be interesting. I'm going to ask them this question. It's very simple. How do you define God? already you may think that, that you're going to get some pretty unique answers. I'm, I'm anticipating some of those answers. I'm going to ask students that, and there's a couple teachers I'm going to probably kind of look at for and just say, hey, how do you define God? And when they hear that, they'll think small g. Not capital G, as I would think. So I ask you that question, and soon you'll hear the results that I get, but how would you define God? How would you describe God maybe in one word? If you were only just given one word to define, describe God, who he is, that that would be tough. That song we just sang, if the oceans were filled with ink, the sky was the parchment, I'm trying to get all the words here, we would drain the oceans writing out just about the love of God. So to, to describe him in one word is almost impossible. Today we're going to look at, again, like I said, one of the greatest words describing God. We have been looking at 13 words of God describing himself. So turn to the book of Exodus again. Exodus 32, 33, and 34. This is such an important part of Scripture. I encourage you just to read it over and over again. Moses has been writing this out. He's been giving a lot of the law and stipulations. If you need a Bible, just put your hand up. I have an extra one over here. Pastor John's got some in the back. And then Moses stops at 32 because the people have done a horrific thing. God has saved them. He's delivered them. He's redeemed them. He's done wonderful things for them. Exodus 14, the gospel message in the Old Testament. And then how quick they are to put all their stuff together, melt their gold, and make a calf and say, these are the gods. But God steps in, and he is patient with them. He comes, and then we see in 34, God describes who he is. If you want to understand who God is, if you wonder who is the Lord... Don't come up with your own ideas. Let him describe himself to you. So let's take a look at 34. We're going to look at verse 6. Start with verse 5. The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses 
proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, that he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. How does God describe himself? Look at some of these words. He is Lord. Take a look at your Bibles again. It's all capitals there. He is Yahweh. This is his personal name. He says it twice. I am Lord, Lord. I am your Savior. Remember this word Yahweh is he's the deliverer. I find that so great. The way he describes himself is with his name, his personal name saying, I am your Savior. And if you forget, I'm your Savior. That's who he is. How would you describe the Lord? He is the Savior. He is Yahweh. He is Lord. Then the third word in Hebrew is God. He is God. He is El. He is the one who has the power to save. He is God. He has the power to save. Then last week we looked at two words. Last week the two words were mercy and grace. And some of your Bibles, compassion. He is a compassionate and gracious God. And we were able to have a police officer here. And we looked at three words. Justice. And if you can remember these things, justice, you get what you deserve. I got the speeding ticket. Justice, you get what you deserve. And truly, God is a just God. But he's also a God of what? He's not just just, he's more than just. He's mercy and grace. Mercy is you don't get what you deserve. I got a warning ticket. I got mercy. I got a break. Grace, you get what you don't deserve. Instead of giving the ticket on the third day that I broke the law, instead of getting the ticket, he paid for the ticket and gave me two tickets to a football game. You get what you don't deserve. Or here's another way, if you've ever played Monopoly, here's another example I kind of came up with here. Justice, you roll three doubles and what happens? You go to jail. You ever do that? You roll three doubles, you go, oh, you gotta go, you go to jail. That's justice. Mercy, you pick up the card, get out of jail free. Woohoo! I kind of hold on to those things. Ah, I get out of jail. Grace, advance to go. 200 bucks. I like that when I get that one. It, the problem with that analogy is justice is kind of put aside like it never happens. The beauty of God is this. Justice is always there. But he is more than just. He just doesn't negate justice and say, oh, boo-hoo with justice and I'll just give you flowers and be happy in this pretty God. Justice still happens. The gavel comes down, the judge comes and bam, you are guilty, you must suffer. And as soon as you're sentenced for your crime, God steps in and says, I'll take that place. Justice must be served, and Jesus does it. Now we will look at the next two words. And as I work on these words, when I work on my sermons, I translate everything that I do. I work, I translate, I work, I just spend much time memorizing, just meditating, letting it soak into my soul. And when I got to this next word, here's what I wrote down. Take a look at your Bibles. 
the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. And then here was my translation. Long to the nose. I kind of stepped back. I was like, whoop, what, what? those are the words. Long nose. Or long as to the nostrils. I was like, what's wrong with my Hebrew Bible here? Oh, it is upside down. Maybe the words, what's going on here? Long nose is an idiom, an expression, a metaphor. When someone gets angry, their nose can flare, right? When someone gets angry, their nose can get very red. Anger, red-nosed, their nostrils flare up. And this is a metaphor saying, God, this sounds weird, his nostrils take a long time to flare up. He is long-suffering. He is patient with you. Patient with you. The word depicts his incredible patience towards us. He is what? He is slow to anger. Now, some of you may have friends or family members who are not slow to anger. You understand what it's like when they get angry very quick. Their nostrils flare up and they are just volatile all the time. And you just wonder, wow, why are they like this? And then right away you think, you're blaming parents or whatever. This is not the time to do that. Some people are not slow to anger. But God is slow to anger. And listen. This is very fitting. This word is very fitting for the situation the people are in. 32, they just created this God. They've, they've, they've committed this horrendous, heinous crime. And if God was not slow to anger, they would all be dead. As I said last week, the end of the Bible should be chapter 32. It's done. That's a short book. But because God is slow to anger, look at all the grace and mercy that he's given his people. He is slow to anger. He is patient with sinful people. It's right for God to underscore this long-suffering in this passage because they've broken the covenant. They have failed. Even that there's a chapter 34 shows you that he is slow to anger. Our God is slow to anger. Even that there's a tomorrow for me, if there is, shows that he is slow to anger. I awoke this morning. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I get extra days added on to my life. No. He is slow to anger with me and with you. Every day you awake, think of that. He is slow to anger. He is patient with me. He is patient. This is very important to note and remember this. His long-suffering does not contradict or remove His justice. His justice is always there. It doesn't remove His justice. His justice is there. Someone must pay. And right away we think of the cross. God changed his mind. No, he doesn't change his mind. Justice is still there. But he is more than just. He is mercy and grace. That's what our God is. God gives time for you to 
repent. Have you ever been in a relationship where there's been a fight between the two of you? Okay, we've got one over here. The rest of you are quiet because you might be sitting next to them, so you don't want to raise your hand. You're waiting for them to raise their hand. We have tensions in relationships. And we know what it's like when someone gives us an opportunity to be patient with us. I thought I was a patient man because I was a fisherman. I could fish all day, but I realized that was more vacation, not being patient. I could fish all day and not catch a fish. That's kind of like what it is in Washington here. Back in the Midwest, I would fish, and if I would not get a fish in 15 minutes, something would be wrong. Here, when I don't get a fish in a day, I realize, this is Washington, try a different lake, maybe they poison this lake out and they just want trout and trout and trout. There's got to be other fish in this world. I realize that I'm not a patient man. I have four daughters. They know that I am not a patient man. My wife knows I'm not a patient man. And I fail. Now, I'm not doing this to know that I can be praying for you, so I'm just going to be the only one that raises my hand. How many of you on Sunday mornings get impatient with family members, spouse, cars, you got to get to church, and you can lose a little patience on, why is Sunday morning the day that we lose the most patience in the morning? I'm raising my hand. we got to get dressed. My hair's got to, my hair, yeah, my hair. I just do this with my hair. You've already figured that one out. Why is it on Sunday mornings I'm the least patient with my kids? Hurry up, we got to go. We got to get going. Hurry up, let's get. I'm not patient at all. Today I thought of that. I was like, remind my kids to be patient with each other. My kids are bickering. Get this, no, this. Oh, your hair looks like this. Oh, you didn't brush your hair. Be patient. We live in a society that just pushes us and pushes us. It's hard to be patient. Patient. Primarily when someone has wronged you. Well, I can be patient with a microwave. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, because I want that food. But when someone has wronged you, that's what this is about. He is long-suffering. He is slow to anger. His anger is there, but it's slow. He is patient, waiting for his people. He withholds his judgment and his punishment. He continues to offer salvation and grace to us. Praise God. In some ways, I had a pretty simple life. Parents adopted me, brought up in Wisconsin, went to church, I was seven years old when I realized the gospel story and its message, and I realized I need Jesus. And then I continued to grow in that grace and understand that. And when I was 14 years old, I made a deeper commitment. And I continued to make those commitments. Now, some of you have had many years go on before you heard about Christ. How many of you were over 30 by, before the time you made a commitment to Christ, possibly? You were older. Think of how patient God was with you. Amen? You should be the ones by saying, praise God, he was patient with me. God is slow to anger. Listen to this. He does respond to sin, but he doesn't lose his temper. That's what this word is about. His long nose, his nose don't flare up. He responds to sin, 
but he doesn't lose his temper. He waits long to allow you to repent. So if you are in sin, if you keep messing around with the world, with your thoughts, if you have habits you feel like you just cannot break, thank the Lord that he is slow to anger. Don't quickly go, well, I need to get rid of this. First just say and turn to his character. Thank you, Lord, that you are slow to anger with me. Because I am a problem. I need mercy and grace. He is slow to anger. If you would turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Again, you've got a bunch of T's, Timothy, Thessalonians, and you've got Hebrews. Then you've got the popular names, James, Peter, and John. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. I love this verse. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. He is be patient with me. He is you already want me to say it. Be patient. <laughs> you guys all love your microwaves, don't you? Quick, give me, give me the word. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. Praise the Lord that He is patient with you. Amen? He is, what a great verse. Highlight that. Mark that down. Write it on a card. Carry it with you this week. Keep it in your pocket. He's not slow in keeping His promise. Guess what? He's coming back. He's coming for us. But he's waiting for those to repent. Those who are his to come to him and say, I need you, Lord. Let's go back to Exodus. Again, the order, I believe, of the words that Lord lives this out in the Old Testament and the New is this. First, he is mercy. He's not justice like we do with the police officers last week. It's not justice, mercy, and grace. He is mercy first. He waits for those. He is Patient. Mercy and patience have a lot together. He is waiting for those, for those to come to him, patiently waiting for those. Then comes justice, either in eternal separation or justice on the cross. And that's grace. These three words, grace, mercy, and long suffering, are often seen together in the Old Testament. They are together. Psalm 103, Jonah, and other passages. What a great God you serve. And those of you who are parents understand what it means to be patient. If you have children. Imagine having a child like my, like myself. When you meet my mother, you'll realize, what a patient woman to have a boy like him. If we would look at your life, truly we would say, 
what a patient God we have to put up with you, amen, or to put up with me. Now, the next word is my favorite word. This is the most beautiful word for me in the Old Testament. It's difficult to translate, and no single English word can capture its meaning. Translators use many words, and you'll see on the screen here what this word looks like. And this is kind of a picture example of how one Bible uses this word. The word is chesed. doesn't sound good to the English ear, but this word chesed shows up 245 times. For instance, the ESV Bible uses this word in a variety of ways. Primarily, their main way to use this word is steadfast love. In other verses, and other parts of the Bible, they use kind, kindness, love, loyalty, mercy, favor, loving kindness, steadfast love. Or, as I've spent this week thinking about it, just working on it, loyal love. Write that down. Loyal love. Loyal love. Why do I say this? This is one of the richest and most theological significant words and insightful terms in the Old Testament. Undoubtedly, it is the best word in this list, in my opinion. Is it better than the word God? Yes, because it's God's love in action. Not negating the word God or His name, but this describes His love in action for us. And that's why for me, it is profound. Chesed is one of the richest, most powerful words in the Old Testament. Why? Let me give you a few reasons. Number one, it is something God does for His people. Again, remember this. There's one thing you cannot do. Save yourself. We can do many things. We can conquer many things. We can do many things. But one thing you cannot do is save yourself. Yesterday I was coming back with a group of mountaineers and we were in this car and some of them, they were talking about addictions. And one guy said, I had this smoking addiction. My whole family had a smoking addiction. And everyone was, they're smokers. A bunch of them were dying. And I said, I, I'm going to stop this. So we got all the cigarettes in his house, all the tobacco. He used to roll them. He'd pile them up on his table. And then he says, well, I can't waste this. He's kind of a frugal guy. So he sat for the whole day and smoked every one of them. I'm surprised he didn't die. To 11.30, he said. He thought he could finish and just, he almost died doing that. And he said, after that, I didn't smoke another one. I can understand why he never smoked again. That's one way to cure it. And we can try all these different ways to stop habits, do things, but one thing you cannot do is save yourself. God comes and does it for his people. The center aspect in the Old Testament describing this word is God's actions. He loves his people. It's chesed. He has chesed. He has this steadfast love to his people. The goodness and love of God in action shown to us. 
It's his pursuit, his faithfulness, his loyal love to you. And this is usually in a situation where people have sinned and they say, Lord, and what do they turn to right away? They turn to his said, his steadfast love. David, when he commits the sin, sees Bathsheba, commits a sin, it rolls into another sin, another sin. In Psalm 51, the first thing he turns to is, hey God, I'm the king, please don't wipe me out, you've given me a promise. He turns to his promises, but the primary thing he turns to is this word here, his love, his steadfast love, his loyal love. It's interesting that his people are not like this. His people do not have loyal love. If you don't believe me, look at chapter 32. If you don't believe me, look in a mirror. We do not have loyal love to him. But he is steadfast, loyal in his love. And he does it for his people. It's a type of love that goes beyond what is required. Now today is Mother's Day. In some ways, I'm required to kind of round up the troops. Kids, let's go buy cards. We want to make cards, all right? Kids, go make cards. And they, I, you know, they put them in the room, and I don't know what happened in there. I heard some fighting and stuff going on about scissors and colors. We'll find out when the cards come out. But I'm required to do certain things because I love my wife. Am I required to get a flower? Well, some of you are saying, yes, you are. I don't come from a flower family, and my wife has already realized that, but when she does get the flower, she realizes he's going beyond what's required. If a flower shows up, she goes, what happened? Because that's beyond what Cody was kind of trained to do. Flowers weren't a big thing. Going beyond what's required. God goes beyond all that we can think of. That's why this song is so great. If we fill the oceans with ink, we could never pen out his love, his chesed. It's that steadfast love. He goes beyond what's required. God is abandoned to his steadfast love, his kindness, his loyalty, his faithfulness to his people. God is a great word, but God's love and action for me, is greater. And that one word is this word here, chesed. Number one, it's something that God does for his people. And number two, it stresses the faithful God to a faithless people. Lump in my throat time. God is faithful to a faithless people. God doesn't love you because you have more faith than Billy Bob Bucktooth down the road. Or Joe who works in the shipyard that curses and chews tobacco. He doesn't love you because you have more faith in him. He loves you because he's a God of chesed. He's bound to himself to love his covenantal people. The people that are his. He's bound to this. And this, again is the central word used in the Old Testament, not just to describe his actions, but to describe his unfailing love. This word expresses the readiness to resolve and to continue loyalty to those who he's bound to. He's bound to us. 
Now, I have in my hand here a ring. Yesterday, I was up climbing a mountain, and I, I had it on, and I sh- some people are like, oh, one guy was like, yeah, you, you shouldn't bring that with you. You know, you're going to all scratched up, and you're right. It's got some fresh scratches, a little shiny in that area now. I just wear it all the time. But when I got home last night, my hands were a little swollen, so I took it off, and I fell asleep, and I forgot to put it back on this morning. I saw it, and I was like, oh, get my ring on. Oh, I saw it a couple of get my ring on. Then with the patience I had with my children, I forgot about my ring. So driving up to the stoplight, I was like, oh, I don't have my ring. Am I required to wear my ring every day? Some of you that work in the shipyard realize I should not wear my ring or I'd be missing a finger. But I turned around and I put it on and it took a little bit longer, but I put it on not just for my wife's sake so she goes, oh, he's got, but for me to say, you know what? I have made a commitment. And this is just an outward sign to say forever. But all of us know what it's like when some people say, not forever, right? Whether it's a former marriage, whether it's a friend, or a child, or a parent. We all have a different taste of what it's like to have someone that says, nah, maybe not forever. God says, forever and a day. He is faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful. And when you run out of breath, he's faithful again and faithful. He does not give up. He is bound to his people. It describes his special relationship with his people. As he's entered this covenant, this commitment, this vow with his people, he does not give up. He doesn't fail himself because he cannot. He doesn't fail his people. He is faithful. And the last one is this. His love is eternal without measure. His love is eternal without measure. You cannot measure His love. This is the longest term relationship you have with God. Take a look at Psalm 136. Psalm 136. I love this chapter. I was waiting for someone to laugh at that. What chapter do I not love? I would encourage you this week, read this chapter a few times. And you'll see the repetition, the repetition, the repetition to get it in you, to get it in you, to get it in you, to get it in you. This explores this word chesed. It shows up in every verse. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His, here's the word, love, his chesed endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures. Every verse says what? His love endures forever. Each line concludes with these words. His chesed endures forever. One thing you cannot get away from is the love of God. It endures forever. 
things fade away. Yes, you'll be gone someday. And we see in Washington, the trees will outlive most of you. Some of you have trees that are older than you in your yards. I was recently at someone's house and they have an apple tree that's over 100 years old. And they've pruned it to a way that looks like it almost comes from a movie. It's just all pruned down. And I was like, you cut everything off. He says, just wait. And sure enough, things are growing out of it. You will fade away. But his love endures forever. Forever and ever and ever. It is eternal without measure. The word stands for the wonder of his unfailing love for a people of his choice and solving the problem that needs to be solved. They have broken this faithful covenant. You've heard me say this before. I'll say it again. One time I was sitting with Autumn and I said, Autumn, how do you know that I love you? Dangerous thing to ask a little kid they could answer anything. I said, do, you, do I love you? Yes, Daddy. How do you know that I love you? And she thought. And her answer was, because you snuggle with me. She was putting love in action. And she termed it in a way, coined it in a way to say, this is how I know you love me, in action. And then she started out with this other, you take me fishing, you do this, this. But the first word was, you snuggle with me. God's love and action is chesed. He loves us. My question is, do you know that God loves you? Do you know it? Oh, you can say it, you've got a lot of Bible verses, you've got it up here in your head, but 18 inches down, do you know it in your heart? Does he love you? Here it is. He shows it. And the apex, the primary way he shows his love, which the Old Testament points to, is the cross. He points to the cross. God's love in the Old Testament is pointing to, all these things are pointing to the cross, saying, how do I know? How do you want to know that I love you? Watch this. I will die for you. Christ dies for his people. He dies Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lays down his life for his friends. A lot of military pictures use that term as they show, they show the soldiers and stuff, and they use that verse out of John 15, verse 13. He loved us before we first loved him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. The love of God seen in Christ and the sacrifice of Christ is the greatest way we see His love. In the Old Testament, my favorite word is this, chesed. My favorite word in the New Testament is found in Romans. Let's turn to Romans chapter 3. And it's one word that does the same thing. It describes his love. And we'll end with this. Romans chapter 3. 
Romans chapter 1, 18 to 320, the Lord's been, through Paul, has been penning out saying, God is a God of justice and mercy waiting for his people. The people have had many opportunities to come to him. The law was written. Creation points to this. They're conscious. Even within each person, they know right and wrong. They know, but they have all failed. And then the greatest paragraph in the greatest chapter out of the greatest book out of the greatest testament right here. Romans chapter 3, 21. But now, a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. All of the Old Testament has been pointing to this one thing. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And here it comes, my favorite word. God presented Him as a... Here's the word. In Greek, it's hilasterion. In your Bibles, it may say propitiation. It may say other words in this sacrifice of atonement. He took my place. God's love is not just love that he gives you flowers. Justice is here, but he's more than just. He is mercy and grace. And he shows that in chesed, the great love of God found in Jesus. His life for my life. So my question is this. How would you describe God in one word? It's hard. You win by saying, if we filled the oceans with ink, we could never... Yeah, you win. Or if you, you, you'd win by saying, well, here's 13 words. But I encourage you, think through and find one word that you could maybe say, this is the word. And maybe for you, because you feel that you failed so many times again and again, you fail and fail, maybe it's the word, he is faithful. Nothing wrong with that. He is faithful because I need that every day. Or maybe it's this grace. Maybe you've, you realize grace is such a grand word. One word, grace. For me personally, it's this word. Loyal love. He does not give up, even when I give up. And we see that primarily in the cross. His life for me. His love never fails. Amen? How could you not worship Him forever? Let's pray.